The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Welcome to episode six of Career Blast in a Half. And we are here today with one of my favorites, and that is not hyperbolic in any way. Naraj Kapoor is one of the most trusted people that I have yet to meet on LinkedIn with over 875 million people on LinkedIn. That says a lot. He is a top LinkedIn voice. He is also the three-time author, and he is a little bit of an anomaly, an Indian guy who has an Irish accent. You're going to meet him in a minute. But today we are talking about something that is so near and dear. It's a vulnerable place. And we're talking about asking for help and why asking for help is important to your career and where the stinkiness is in not using that as a career tool. So welcome so very, very much, my dear friend, Naraj Kapoor. Thank you so much for joining. Greetings from, I can't believe we're like, 4,000, 3,000 miles away from each other, and it feels like you're right here. <laughs> so great to see you, Lauren. Always a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Please share with us a little bit of your backstory, because I have had the great honor and pleasure of knowing you backwards, which is one of my favorite expressions. When I say knowing you backwards, I know you from not your title or not your you know, accolades necessarily, although those are very impressive. I know who you are from the inside out. And so if you could share some of that with us, because it is a hallmark of yours, that would be super helpful. And why you are in the career that you're in and how you got to be Naraj Kapoor. <laughs> I spent 23 years in corporate London. And the first 21 years, I was one of the few people that I knew who had female bosses and two female CEOs. So my, my career path was very unusual. And that's why I'm a big supporter of women in business and female CEOs, because most of my bosses have been women and CEOs in publishing. And they helped me have tremendous success. But the last two years of my career, I had male bosses and I wasn't good at all. And I really struggled. And the toxic work culture became really toxic. And I wasn't happy. Now, it's okay to do a job for a few months and not be happy. That's life. But when it's two years in a row and you're just having nightmares the night before you go into work, you know it's a serious problem. I just wanted to change the work culture, but I didn't have the power or the name or the influence or the capacity to do that. And my last boss said to me, look, just set up your own company. That way you can make your own decisions yourself. <laughs> and the thing is, when you've had a successful career in London, you've got a great salary, a very good pension. The last thing you think about is having your own business. Why would you? Because it's terrifying. 
you lose that regular salary. There's no guaranteed pension. There's no guaranteed income. And my first book, Everybody Works in Sales, became a bestseller. And I saw the royalties come in. And I just jumped ship thinking, yes, I'm going to be a best-selling author. I'm going to be up there with Mel Robbins and Tony Robbins, no relation. And, you know, <laughs> Jack Canfield, all the greats. And for two months, I was a legend. And then month three, the royalties disappeared. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I had to learn how to run a business again. So that, I guess, in less than two minutes is sort of my career path as to where I sort of got to and why I set up my own business. And so one of the things that always just gives me such uh, joy and also connection with you is your really noteworthy levels of vulnerability on social media. And what I want to steer this conversation to is, I mean, you're a trusted salesperson. I want to understand and I want the audience to understand what it is that you actually do and why asking for help in our career is not just vital, but is a tool that they need to use in order to stay relevant, current, and emotionally present in their work. So t tell us about the kinds of sales that you do and tell us about how that leads over to vulnerability. When people contact me about sales, they normally want to close more deals or they want to generate more leads on LinkedIn. It's usually one of the two. And when I spend more time with that person, closing sales is never the problem, Lauren. The problem is most people don't know how to ask questions. Most people are terrible at listing, especially men. Women are pretty good. Men are pretty awful. Most people don't understand negotiation or sales process. Most people do not understand recapping. They just don't understand sales. And so they blame it on closing a deal. Closing a deal is rarely the problem. The problem is to get all the other steps before that wrong. And so my job is to help them do that whether it's in sales environment or whether it's on LinkedIn. And in terms of the importance of vulnerability, I achieved success in my career through vulnerability. It was ever planned. What had happened was I had gone through a traumatic divorce. And when you get divorced, you learn very quickly who your friends are. And I was disappointed the few people who I thought were my friends, they were my ex-wife's friends. <laughs> I was just the guy that was married to her. And... That was traumatic enough after 21 years of marriage. And then I had four months of lockdown by myself, which messed me up pretty badly. And the clients that I had said, I'm sorry, we have no money left near age. And all of a sudden, I'm in tremendous debt, living alone, no clients, and lonely. And I was not in a good place emotionally or mentally. And once I got diagnosed obese by the doctor, my weight just balloons. I don't do drugs. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink. And so I use food as a kind of a, a way to cope. And I was in a really bad place, a very dangerous place, because when you get diagnosed obese, there are so many health problems that come off the back of that, from migraines to severe back problems to insomnia. I did something I really didn't want to do. I asked for help, and I reached out to my elderly, retired parents, and I said, please help me. And that's really difficult to do, especially when you're a grown man, and especially when you make your living as a coach helping other people. To have to turn to people who are retired to say, I just can't cope anymore. Can you please help me? At the time, it felt horrible. But looking back, it was the smartest thing I could have done. Mm. Sorry. No. I mean, this episode isn't about placating or suiting up and wearing the costume. This episode is for all of us 
when we feel like we are either at a bottom, we are hitting frustration, the plans that we had are derailed. And also in the process of our careers, I think that there's been a huge disservice to the whole world of professionalism and the term professionalism that somehow that means that you're some kind of soldier and cannot admit to asking for help, whether it's with your boss or with other colleagues and sharing that level of vulnerability. So the reason why I wanted you in particular to talk about this is that those two ideas, professionalism and vulnerability, as by way of asking for help, are not mutually exclusive. No, it's very true. Help Uh, us understand where and how that misnomer of those two things should be broken apart. It's very important to understand when you ask for help, it's never a sign of weakness. I think at the time I thought it was. And it's often only months later or sometimes years later, we look back thinking, ah, that was actually a good thing I did. (laughs) But at the time, you don't realize it. And that was a, that took guts and that took courage for me to do. And I'm so glad I did because asking for help does take courage. It does take strength. It's a bit like forgiveness. People think forgiving someone who's done you wrong is weak. No, it's not. It's a tremendous sign of strength. You're not forgiving the other person because you're weak. You're forgiving the other person because you're strong and you want to move on in life. And asking for help is just the same. It takes courage and it takes strength. And when you ask for help, I think you'll often be surprised the people who will help you. That will quite often not be the people you expect. So I thought my best friends would have helped me through the trauma of divorce and lockdown. They didn't. It was actually my elderly parents of all people. It was people on LinkedIn who responded to my posts talking about the difficulty having to leave everything behind in England where I'd worked for almost 30 years to go back to a small town in Northern Ireland to live with my parents because I wasn't coping with life. And that's really when I started writing about vulnerability because I couldn't afford therapy. I'd lost everything. I had no money left. The divorce had destroyed me. And so I used LinkedIn almost as a platform to vent my frustrations, not in a dramatic over-the-top way, but just talking about loneliness and talking about asking for help. And what surprised me so much were not just the hundreds, but the thousands of people who reached out publicly and privately over the next year to say, I've been there, I'm with you. And that was like, whoa, that was unexpected. A number of men who reached out in the car industry, in insurance and in banking who said, we cannot talk about this in our office. Thank you for being our voice. Mm, It's huge. And, you know, I want to balance this episode also with, you know, this is like the loneliness, the vulnerability. That's human, right? And there are ways that we get lifted up, which is through connection. And in your case, you know, expression, right? You use LinkedIn as a platform. And I encourage people to be able to use LinkedIn to find their voice, whether it's about vulnerability or loneliness, blah, blah, blah. But what I would love to also have you talk about in this area, especially for those who are in transition and in their careers, where the guidelines are for being vulnerable and then, you know, eliciting over the top types of pity or sympathy or clickbait 
right, that can also backfire. So where do you strike the line? Because if asking for help is truth, right, where does it kind of, where could it, I guess, extend too far? It extends too far if that's all you do day and night is go on and on about the challenges you're facing. And what I do is I found balancing with work was very important. So after my first post went viral, that was a post talking about loneliness and the difficulty of being in your late 40s and being single and locked down and not having anyone to share your life with. That was huge. But then I started talking about business as usual straight after that. And then I think my next post was maybe a month later when I went online dating, pictured me in a restaurant, having a meal, and the table opposite is empty because I was stood up. And that was painful, especially on a Saturday night, and especially because I was vulnerable. But what I did was I turned that into a business post and said, you know what, sometimes clients don't turn up. And it's never a nice situation to be in. Just like being stood up on a date is not a nice position to be in. However, it's not what happens in life to you, Lauren. It's how you react to it. So that's a good example of turning vulnerability into a business post. So I made sure that whenever I did talk about my emotions, I tried to do it in a way that there were lessons to learn or that I was still helping somebody else. Mm. And that's important because if you talk about it all the time, you just become whiny and annoying. And I didn't want to be that person. It was very important people knew that wasn't my agenda on LinkedIn. I wrote about it because I was in pain and I couldn't afford therapy. And it was only because people reacted so strongly and so beautifully to my posts that I felt the need to do more. But even then, it was never more than once a month because job in LinkedIn is to be a business owner, to generate more sales and to help people on the business level. But I just find so many people ask me, do more posts, do more posts. You can't just do more posts. You, you know, I can do as many business posts as I want, but personal posts, I only write according to when they happen to me. Mm. So while you're talking about posts, I guess what the question goes back to is, you know, as we ask for help in our careers, right, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's, I mean, I've called you before and said like, oh my God, like, what would you do about this situation? What would you do about that situation? What is, what would you recommend? How do you know when some, you know, just internally, when do you raise your hand and be like, okay, like time's up. I got to ask for help because so many of us are just white knuckling it. <laughs> Now I've become more successful, I'm very quick to ask people for help <laughs> because I'm no shame in it, because I'm incredibly self-aware as an individual. And I know asking for help is a smart thing to do. I also surround myself with very good coaches, just like you do. So, you know, I pay John Asperian, who we both know, uh, regularly to coach me, keep me accountable. When I did my TEDx talk end of last year, which was a high, one of the highlights of my career, I hired a coach to work with me. So I ask for help very quickly. And if someone doesn't want to help you, I always offer them money. And quite often you'll find the attitudes change very quickly. <laughs> and they'll be more than willing to help you when it comes to money. But don't sit on it too long. I mean, sometimes people do wait until things are as bad as they can be, just like I did when I was in lockdown and diagnosed obese. I wish I'd done it sooner. But there was a tremendous sense of shame that somebody in my position who has had a great career, who has invested in Tony Robbins, shouldn't really have fallen this hard. And it was only when I talked about it publicly, so many people would say to me, hey, it's no problem. I got divorced in my 30s, had to go live with my parents. You know, I've suffered this and had to go live with my brother for a while. I struggled with bankruptcy and had to sleep on a friend's couch for six months. You realize that 
I think when a lot of problems happen to you in life, for some reason we think we're the only people in the world going through this. And the importance of asking for help is you discover very quickly you're not. You discover there's so many people that have experienced what you have. And when that happens, you'd be surprised the number of people who reach out. You know, I have a goal every day, Lauren. I have like a top five list every day. And one of my top five lists is I must help three people on LinkedIn. And it's a really important attitude to have and fits in perfectly with my purpose, which is to serve. Even though I sell, I serve. I, I like to think of it more serving than selling. And three times a day, I'll reach out to people. And it's usually those who are struggling with mental health or those who have lost a job. And I've been in those positions before. I know how painful and difficult that is. So what I do is I connect with them and say, look, I had a look at your LinkedIn profile. You're in America. Is this, is this like somebody you know or don't know? No, somebody I don't know at all. Complete straight. Because there's a great thing in life, helping people who can never help you. I think that's a very powerful thing to do. A lot of people on LinkedIn and social media and only help people who can benefit them financially. I don't like that attitude. It's not something that resonates with me. And I think it's so important to help people in life who are never going to become your customer. And when I reach out to them and say, here are some things I would do in your LinkedIn profile. When I reach out to them and say, look, I'm sorry I've had mental health challenges. I've been through it. I understand. And I can either be there for you for 10 minutes just to listen and nothing else. Or I'll be happy to share advice if that is what you're looking for. And it's very important to make that distinction. Because there's nothing worse when somebody vents and you start mansplaining things. <laughs> I'm learning that a lot in my relationship with Rachel. Stop mansplaining. You know, sometimes I just want you to listen. Like, okay. So I'm learning a lot about that in my new relationship now that sometimes somebody just wants you to be there with them, be present with them, and listen to them. That's all. Okay. So I just want to make sure. So stranger on LinkedIn, you reach out with a connection request. And in that connection request, you're asking them, you know, I see that you are experiencing X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's a, a challenge that they've shared on LinkedIn from a post, and then you offer them. And what's the response rate? I mean, that's really interesting. Response rate is about 70%. So because there's about 20% of people who just, they appreciate it, but maybe they don't want to say anything. And sometimes six months or three months later, they'll approach me again and say, look, I'm okay now, but thank you for reaching out. And you did, and that's okay. Uh, there's 10%, sadly, of people who just do it insincerely. I've reached out to two people on LinkedIn. One was a sales rep in the north of England. And one was a guy who's a business coach who both said they have mental health problems. I found their numbers in their profile and called them up. And they had no idea what I was talking about. Because they lied in their LinkedIn posts. They just lied to get attention. And they lied to get followers and empathy. I didn't like the fact they did that. Literally, they had no idea. Uh, what post was that? I mean, a post you did a few hours about mental health? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry. I'm fine. Everything's fine down there. Thanks. No, no, I'm okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. And if you do a post about that, you don't forget about it a few hours later. You just don't. So there are people who do things like that insincerely, unfortunately. And that's why I always like look for somebody's phone number on their LinkedIn profile and try to call them because you often get a better conversation over the phone with somebody, of course, than you ever will by, you know, Messenger. But I always reach out to people because I know that pain. I know that struggle. And if I reach out to somebody and they reject my help, it's absolutely fine because some people just don't react to help very well. Some just, they want help, but suddenly they change their mind and don't want help. It's okay. 
I understand that because I've been there. You go through a whole variety of emotions when you're deeply stressed in life or when you're suffering a severe trauma. And so when I speak to somebody and they go through mood swings, I never take it personally. So this is radical, right? I've never heard anybody do this. This is a very different approach to not just asking for help yourself, but offering help to those who may not necessarily raise their hand for it. I mean, who knows if it's honest or not, but I think in our careers, especially with a lot of the folks that I see in transition, they are so focused on what their agenda is. I need more interviews. I need more this. I need more that, that the idea of reaching out to somebody else and offering that help by way of voluntary referral or something that you could do is an amazing everyday requirement just to get outside of yourself. So I want to move this over to the second piece of asking for help is we talked a little bit about why you've done it. We've talked about the benefits of what that has changed for you. We've talked about how you've given it in your career. But now when I want to really steer this conversation towards is how you digest the help so that you are actually moving forward. Because listen, here's the facts, right? You and I give a lot of free help and the help is only as good as the person that's going to pick it up. And sometimes I even get frustrated. I'm just going to say, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, I can't pay for your services. Well, okay, no problem. I'm giving away, you know, hours and hundreds of posts of free content. So what do you have to say to people that come to you and ask you for help and then don't pick it up or take action? That's very frustrating because there's nothing worse in life than seeing unfulfilled potential in others. And as a coach, I will call somebody out. Not publicly, I don't believe in that. But I will call them out to say, you recently asked me for some help and I gave you that help on the basis that in a week's time you'd email me back or message me and tell me how you're getting on. You haven't done that. And there's my second follow-up call now. Now, if my advice wasn't useful to you, please, I apologize, let me know. But if my advice was useful to you, let me know how you're getting on. Just let me know you're okay. Like I said, I'm not selling you my course. I'm not selling you my newsletter list. <laughs> you know, I don't help people to then say, okay, by the way, you have to do this for me now. When I help someone who's struggling, I never say, by the way, can I have a recommendation? I don't do any of that. But sometimes people do have to be given a nudge in life. Because unfortunately, as human beings, Lauren, people are often more likely to stay where they are in life, even if they're struggling then try something new that will help them do better. People are terrified of change. And don't get me wrong, change is hard. <laughs> okay, I find change hard, even though I know it's so important. Change is very, very hard. So you have to be patient with somebody. And if they don't listen to you the first time, it's okay. That's why following up is so important. In business to be successful, people rarely call you the first time and do business with you. You often have to follow up a second, a third, or a fourth time before you end up working with somebody. Same thing goes with asking for help. When you give advice to somebody who doesn't listen, sometimes you have to follow up a second, a third, or even a fourth time to make sure they actually do what they say they will do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really struggle with this. And I also want to ask you when people 
come to you and say, hey, Niraj, you know, I see you on LinkedIn. I just have one of those quick questions, you know, and are trying to get your insights over a period of time, not just like the first time, maybe not the second time, but a lot of input for free. What do you do about that? Because after a while, it's like, I'm sorry, you know, like I, this is what I do for a living. So how do you handle that? Majority of the time, if somebody says they have a quick question, if they're a salesperson, it's normally a genuine question. If they're a business owner, unfortunately, it normally means you're trying to sell something to me, <laughs> especially if their job title is, I help coaches reach seven figures a year. I don't respond to those anymore. I get a lot of fitness coaches who are always trying to sell their programs to me. So I've just got to know there are certain people you just don't reply to and you just really don't even accept a LinkedIn invitation from. A lot of these messages do come through in mails, which means they're people I'm not even connected with. And if someone sends me a message to say, hey, Neeraj, quick question for you, would that be okay? I look at the person's profile and if they haven't even looked at my profile, that means they're a complete waste of time because I can tell I have LinkedIn premium. I know who looks at my profile. And if you're asking for help and you haven't looked at my profile, why are you asking me for help for? <laughs> and I just tend to ignore them. Now, if the person has looked at my profile or they are connected to me and they ask me a question, not a problem. I normally take out my mobile phone, go to my LinkedIn app and reply by voice note within 30 to 40 seconds. It's quite easy to do. And I tend to reply to a lot of voice notes when I go for my walks in nature or when I'm going up and down the house or going for a walk or walking to my car. I use my voice notes a lot because it's a great way to communicate. If somebody asks me more than twice in a month for help, oh, I just have a third question I want to ask you. I say to them, here's a link to my website. Any more help you want, you need to pay for it because I'm a business owner. I'm sure you understand. Unfortunately, most of those people I never hear from again, which is exactly About a quarter of them say, I totally understand. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. So at least they've acknowledged it and that's it. But loads of them say nothing. They don't even say thank you, which really surprises me. And it's something that's very easy. I used to get very upset about stuff like that. Now I don't. Because in life, I just think as human beings, we spend so much time criticizing others when we should be focusing more on ourselves. And so now things like that don't bother me anymore. I just have much stricter boundaries with people now as well. And it's important to have boundaries too. Mm, yes. So all of this asking for help has many, 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 many nuances and strains that go in different directions. But I um, really appreciate that you talked about boundaries and also about the value of your services. So just because you are a giver and you offer help and we're talking here about asking for help, be mindful and please appreciative. And you can express that appreciation and gratitude in so many simple and easy, free ways. This costs you nothing. And the equity that it builds is invaluable. So that's my public service announcement with respect to asking for help and paying it forward. So we're going to move over to some more fun stuff here. Okay, these are my signature questions, and just in transparency, I changed one, so that's all right. The first question is, I like to have reminders around, and so for those who are in their career and maybe struggling to ask for help or any other topic, what is the post-it that they should put on their desk with respect to this topic or something else you think is imperative? Smart people ask for help. <laughs> that's it. That's all you have to do. Smart people ask for help. Smart people ask for help. Excellent. 
you and I also, Naraj, share a tremendous love and passion for reading. What is the best business book or career book that everybody must put on their list, read and reread? How to Win Friends, Influence People by Dale Carnegie, I must have read about eight times. I've underlined it, I've highlighted it, and I still read it probably once a year because it's that important a book. Excellent. And then our favorite topic. I mean, we really like jam out on this. What's your walk-up song? Living in a Prayer. <laughs> it's been Living in a Prayer for so long now. And every now and again, I've changed it to I, The Tiger by Survivor. I've tried Europe, The Final Countdown. I've tried Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. But for some reason, I think because, you know, the first band I fell in love with as a kid was Bon Jovi. And I was a member of the Bon Jovi fan club in New Jersey for six years <laughs> when I was a teenager. And I had every VHS cassette they've done. I've seen them in concert 11 times. You know, unfortunately, Bon Jovi don't sound good anymore. They haven't done any good studio albums for almost 20 years, which is a real shame. And most of the heroes I grew up with haven't done anything worthy in 20 years. But I'll tell you what, from the age of 13 when I discovered them, before the rest of the world knew who they were, up until about the age of, I would say, 30, 32 years old, they were my favorite band in the world. Nobody could touch them. And the live experience of seeing them on stage was just like nothing I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. I love that you're living on a prayer. And I appreciate you so, so, so very, very, very much. For all of you who have been patient and loving and loyal listeners, we appreciate you. Please don't forget to subscribe. And also, we would love a rating on iTunes, iTunes, or Spotify, because that's what makes us go. So thank you so much, Career Blast and a Half, signing off for today. Have an awesome rest of your day, and thanks for listening. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next Career Blast in a Half. Most of all, thank you for you.